Joanna, my best bit of the week was going out on Friday night with my wife for burger and chips <laughs> while all the kids were here at youth. It's like a whole new chapter of our life has opened up. Thank you, youth. Um, uh, hang in there if you've got little kids. There's a moment that comes when they're all occupied. It's glorious. Uh, a number of you will know that where many years ago, a long time ago now, uh, before we came to Worcester, Kath and I lived in New Zealand. We had a spell over there helping plant a church. Uh, it was a tough gig. Someone had to go. We went. Uh, if you've ever been to New Zealand, hands up if you've been to New Zealand. A number of you. Okay. You will know that it is paradise. It is an extraordinary country. And it's very famous for many things. But one of them will be its beaches. And I remember friends of ours over there saying, look, there's a load of beaches, but there's one beach you must, must go and visit. You can't drive there. You can only sail to it or hike into it for about 45 minutes. It's called New Chums Beach, which is a really bad name given all the brilliant names all the other beaches have. And they said most people never go because they can't be, basically can't be bothered to make the effort, but it is ultimately worth it. And so we looked at photos that people had shown us. We looked at the map. And we planned to go with some friends of ours we went on holiday to this particular part of the country with. And we got all ready the night before for this hiking with the little kids on our backs. Um, and we were wondering, is it going to be anything like what we've kind of built up in our minds? Uh, is it going to be everything we've hoped it would be? Well, here's a photo of New Chums Beach. Yes, you see, it is amazing. And we got there, and we were the only people on the beach. And we had it to ourselves for the whole day. My brother lives in Melbourne. My younger brother, I'm the oldest of three. My youngest brother lives in Melbourne. He moved out there a month after we came back from Auckland. So you can imagine my parents not entirely happy about that. Good morning, Mum and Dad, if you're watching online, like they sometimes do. And I think I've seen him three times in the last 12 years. We get to FaceTime, we can connect on text, we can track them on Instagram, and it's the summer over there, so there's lots of photos of very nice beaches. I miss him. I can connect with him, but, but it's not the same as being with him. You can look at a photo of a beach, but until you're on it, and experiencing it for yourself. It's not the same. You can hang out and connect on social media and keep tabs on people and you get your Christmas letters, but there's something about being in the room with somebody, isn't there? Eyeballing them, being in their presence, holding them, laughing. It's the moments beyond uh, the conversation that often make all the difference. And I say that because we are, as Cass said, starting a new series today called Knowing God. And I want us to be really clear right from the outset that there's a massive difference between knowing about something, knowing of someone, and actually being with them, being there, experiencing something for yourself, being with people in real life. Connecting with somebody through digital means is not the same as properly knowing them and tracking with them and doing life with them. You can know a lot about someone but not know them. 
And we all know that, don't we? We all have those moments as uh, lockdown eased and we were able to regroup with our friends and our families and here together as the people of God. And there was something so precious about it, something perhaps we appreciated for the first time. Thank goodness for online church. Thank goodness for Zoom. Thank goodness for WhatsApp. But how good was it to be back together? How good was it to be able to go and actually be with somebody? Well, all of that is true when it comes to God. We can know lots about God, but not really know him. We can connect with him, sort of from a distance, by being around the things of God, the people of God, doing Christian things, but not really know him. And the challenge, the invitation the whole time, I think, for all of us, is to move beyond that sort of knowing of to that place of knowing deeply, intimately, in our very essence, our very being. Moving from doing things for God to just being able to enjoy being with him. Of learning how to cultivate a relationship with him, which is intimate and deep, where actually you can be completely yourself, which as we'll see in a moment, is the invitation. And many of us, if we're honest, right now, particularly given all that we've tracked through over the last two years, don't really feel like we know God as much as we'd like to, perhaps as much as we know we could, and perhaps as much as we once did. We can't rely, can we, on past memories, past experiences. And it's been really difficult for many of us to find ways to connect with God over the last 18 months when all the normal patterns of life have been disrupted. And I, I'm hearing over and over again as I sit with people and I listen to people, this longing in us as the people here at All Saints to know God afresh. I love that. And so this series is really in response to hearing that over and over again from so many people trying to throw some fuel on that fire for you individually as a follower of Jesus or maybe someone who's actually not even sure what they think yet but has this deep longing in them for something of God. Some people have said to me that they've really been honest and recognized that I probably wasn't really intentionally pursuing God. I was kind of riding on the fumes of my faith or piggybacking on somebody else's. I'd settled for knowing about God and being around on, sort of on the edges, knowing a bit about him, connecting a bit, but not really giving myself wholeheartedly to it. For others, they've, they've acknowledged that there's been this great desire burning in them for more of God in this season, and they want to lean into that. And wonderfully for us here at All Saints, there's people every single week here, and if this is you this morning, you're so welcome, who would say, I'm not sure yet what I think, but, but I'm feeling drawn into the things of God. I found myself asking questions. I found myself realizing that what I thought I knew, I perhaps don't so, I'm not so confident in anymore. Maybe after all, there is this God that I want to know. So all of us, wherever we're at this morning, are invited to make a journey again and again to know God and to truly know him. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So you want to know what God is like? We now look at Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that reveals the Father to us. He's the one that even told us we can know him as Father. This is the loving 
father who runs out to meet his children when they come home, whatever they've been doing, however bad and wrong it might have been. This is the father who sends his son because he so loves the world that we might be scooped up in his redemptive purposes for creation, that we'd be truly known by him. More of that in a moment. Contrary to what many people might think, the Christian life is not about doing things for God so that at some point, if we prove ourselves worthy, he might pour out his love and affection on us. It's not a transactional, contractual relationship where we kind of get performance-related blessing. Quite actually the opposite. This is about being who he made us to be. And as an expression of that identity, doing the things he calls us to do with him. And who he calls us to be is his people, his sons and his daughters made in his image, made in his image for him and for us that we might know each other and know love, true love between one another. That's what he created us for. He didn't need us. God didn't create humans just because he needed an army of slaves to get some job done. Jesus reveals to us that the purpose of being made in the image of God is to bear witness to who God is in the world, to bear his image for God's glory. But in doing that, we find ourselves most gloriously alive. That's the invitation to know God, is to know him as he is and who we are in him. Why does all this matter? Why, why so important? You know, can we not just sort of settle for a, you know, adding in a bit of Christianity and having a sort of spiritual edge to our life? Well, I'd argue that this is fundamental to what it is to be human. And actually, until we pay attention to this, until we attend to this in our lives, this deep longing we all have for meaning and value and purpose will not be satisfied by anything other than knowing God and being known by him. We've become really sophisticated, haven't we, in our culture, at finding all sorts of alternatives to knowing God and being known by him. We're very good at kind of accumulating things, nice things that give us a sense of value and worth things that we move towards. I was chatting to someone who I'd never met before recently um, at the end of one of our carol services, and he said, um, I think what you're talking about is what I was feeling when I got to the end of doing this massive build of an amazing house with my family. And on the day that we, were, we went in, and it was all really exciting, I found myself thinking, well, now what? <laughs> so just spent a fortune on this amazing house, but realized that that's not going to satisfy and so we have a choice as the people made in the image of God, whether we know it or not, all humans. Are we going to move towards God to find who we are and who he is? Or are we going to look to something else to try to satisfy? And increasingly, I think people are beginning to realize that the things of this world, however good they might be, are not sufficient. What were we made for? What's your purpose, your re reason for being here? What's it means to be you. Well, I would argue it's to know God and to be known by him. What should we have as our priority, our primary concern in our lives? Well, I'd say above and beyond anything else, however good it might be, it's to get to know God. 
That's it. Simple. And Jesus has made it so easy for us. You want to know God? Come and spend time with me. Super simple. The Westminster Confession of 1646. This was an attempt during the Reformation to articulate what we think the Christian faith is. Summarizes it all like this. It says, the chief end of man, and forgive the language, that's old language. So the, the chief end of humanity, perhaps we would say today, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why we're here. And to do that, we have to know him. You can't glorify someone you don't know. You can't enjoy someone you don't know. And I'm convinced of this, that the biggest witness, the biggest apologetic to our culture, for all of us as the people of God, to the truth of Jesus, is not how good we are at telling people the truth about Jesus, but how much joy we have in him. I think when the world sees a joyful people enjoying God, glorifying him by the way they live, however hard and countercultural that is at times, that, that speaks. So my prayer for us this year is that we would have joy in God because we know him. All of this, I would argue, is the priority of God for us too. Notice what uh, Jesus says in John 17. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they know you. God wants us to know him. God wants us to know him so that we can know that we're known by him and that in that place of knowing deep knowing, and it's more than just head knowledge, it's knowing with the whole of our being that we're free and we can be who we're made to be. That's what God sent Jesus to do ultimately, to restore relationship between him and us, to redeem us, to reconcile us to him. Not just so that there's some sort of like nice balance in the ecosystem of creation, but so that the very intentions of God to love us and for us to love him back could happen again fully and freely. This is captured, I think, brilliantly in Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. And I pray this regularly for us. It's going to come up on the screen, but I'm going to pray it over us again. Paul says, for this reason, all of what I've just said, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray, he says, that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And notice this, and to know, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You do not pray that kind of prayer. You don't write that kind of prayer in a letter unless you know God. And in such that, that place of knowing God, Paul here is pouring out his heart. He wants the people he's writing to, us now today, 
to know that love too. He's like, that's my prayer that you get it, that you grasp the love of God for you so much that you, it's beyond our knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. It's more than that. The knowable, unknowable love of God, as some theologian put it. That desire in him was, as I've said, an expression of his own faith. That was his experience. Paul, if you remember, was once known as Saul. He was a Pharisee who initially was really resistant to Jesus. He led the charge to, get, to try to get him off, out of, out of the picture. He persecuted the first followers of Jesus. And then he encounters Jesus. He has a, an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ, and he comes to know him. He'd heard about him. He knew about him. He knew of him. He knew of what he was about, what his people were doing. But when he met him, everything changes. He's renamed Paul and he devotes his life, ultimately at the cost to himself, of making sure every single person on the planet might know him too. And so he says what we heard in Joanna, as Joanna read earlier, our teaching text for today, Whatever were gains to me, he says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. This is the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a big gun. Everyone knew him. He walked in the room. It's like Saul. And he says, I count all of what I had as loss. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Everything else that I could grasp onto, that I could try to accumulate, that I could try to look to for meaning and value and purpose. I count all of that as a loss. Instead, he says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. He gave it all up. Everything that the world had given him for Jesus because he knew that that was all he needed. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, for him, that's important because he was a Pharisee who prided himself on doing all the right things, keeping the law. And that was the basis on which he thought he had authority. And what he's realized now is no. Jesus kept the law. Jesus did all the right things. I don't have to now to earn God's love. I can live in that and from that place, and therefore it's much easier to do the same. He says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul is crystal clear here, isn't he? I want to know God. I want to know Jesus. That's all I want. That's all I want. And all I want for you, ultimately. The, the reason why he labored as he did in and for these churches was so that the heart of it would be a people who know the goodness of God in the land of the living. That's it. This is, I count it all garbage. Actually, literally, that is cow poo. Which, if the kids are in the room, you can say there's poo in the Bible. It's brilliant. It's actually, the word is actually manure. I count it all as manure. It's just poo. It, it, it has no value when compared to the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ and knowing him. And so if you're blessed with much, enjoy it. Share it. 
use it to bless others, but it doesn't compare to Jesus Christ. And if you don't have much, remember you have all you need in Christ. We don't take any of it with us. I think about, uh, you know, 40 years, 50 years from now, and I sometimes wonder what it will be like, Kath and I, eating our burger and chips on a Friday night, paid for by the kids. <laughs> by then, yeah, if we're still living together in the same house, not locked away somewhere. And uh, I, I, want, I want to be sat there going, I know God. I got to know God. That's all I want. I don't want stuff. I like stuff, but I don't want stuff. I don't need it. It's just stuff. But I want to get to the end of my days and know him, know him more. So my question for us, as we start this series, as we crank our gears into, crank up the gears into 2022, is can we say the same as Paul? That above all else, I just want to know Jesus. I just want to know God. I want to find myself in him. I want to know what it means to be known by God so that I can have a perspective on everything else that holds it all lightly, that sees it all as gift. Because actually, ultimately, all that matters is knowing God and being known by him. I don't know how you'd answer that question. My guess is, to a degree, yes, that's why you're here, in part. But, as we'll see over the next few weeks, we have to lean into that. We have to make choices. And what we want to do is help us think through how might we know God more? What can we do? And what happens as we do those things? What's our part in this? Are we looking in more detail at the place of worship and prayer and the scriptures and community and the sacraments and the Holy Spirit? We had a moment even just now when we were singing where we're singing songs, but you sense, don't you, that we're knowing something of God in the midst of us as we do that. They're more than just songs. They're attempts to articulate our love for him and and God comes to us in that place. We know something of God in the things that we do as the people of God. If there's one book I would commend to you to perhaps track with us on this series, it's the classic by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. We'll send a link out to it. There's actually a free audio version of it on Spotify, I discovered. Written 50 years ago now, probably, something like that. But it's still probably the best book on this topic. And he says this. Knowing God involves first listening to God's word and receiving it as the Holy Spirit interprets it in application to oneself. Second, noting God's nature and character as his word and works reveal it. Third, accepting his invitations and doing what he commands. Fourth, recognizing and rejoicing in the love that he has shown us uh, in approaching you and drawing you into this divine fellowship. So four things, he says, that this involves. Uh, listening to God's word, preached, hopefully reasonably well, to encourage you so that something of who God is and what God's about, it makes sense to you and you apply it to yourself. You, you go from here and you think it through. What does this mean for me? Second, he says, it's noting what God's like. As you learn about God, what's he like? I want to know what God's like. Just go read the Gospels. Just read Jesus. The stories of Jesus, so kind, so loving, so merciful, so outrageously generous, so radical, so hardcore. 
Third, accepting the invitation and doing what he commands. There's invitation and challenge all the time in the discipleship life. Fourth, recognizing and rejoicing in the love of God. That's, he says, how you know God. So we're going to unpack that over the next few weeks. But three things come up over and over and over again in all the scriptures. When you pick up this book and uh, look at it right from the very beginning all the way through, there are three things theologians will tell you that we're encouraged to do as people made in the image of God. The first is to seek him. That language of seeking God comes out over and over again in the Psalms, comes out in the New Testament, comes out in the Gospels. This idea of seeking God, being a people who seek him. It's this intentional looking for. It's not, just, it's not like, where are you, God? I'm going to go seeking after you. It's not, it's not hide and seek. It's not lost and found. It's seeking in the sense of going deeper, delving in, looking for more, finding more, pursuing someone. Just like, you know, when you see someone who's kind of falling in love for the first time, and they're just desperate to know more about each other and spend all the time, they're just probing. It's that same kind of idea. And there's a promise in Proverbs 8. God says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. God doesn't hide from us to make it impossible for us to find. He wants to know us. He wants us to know him. There are times, caveat, when it seems a little bit like he's playing hard to get. And that's because he invites us to go seeking for our benefit. Seek me, he says, and you will find me. Sometimes we have to seek a bit harder. And other times, it's dead easy. The second thing that we're invited to do over and over again is to dwell in his presence. That language of dwelling comes out over and over and over and over again in the scriptures. Go read through the Psalms. It's there in pretty much every Psalm. Dwelling. It's this sense of living in. Living in God. Living in his love. Paul's shorthand in the New Testament is in Christ. Living in and from that place of intimacy and rootedness and establishment in love. The famous verse, of course, is Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and what? Know that I am God. There's a place for stillness and silence, pausing. The best way to start your day is to be still and sit with God. and Let him make himself known. All of this involves us practicing the way of Jesus that we talk about here. And we're going to signpost you again to all the resources from teaching we've done on this over the last few years. The practices, the spiritual practices that help us know God, help us seek God, help us pursue God, help us dwell with God. It's going to require some intentionality and discipline always on our parts. That is the deal. Partly because if you're anything like me, I'm flaky and I need some, you know, kind of boundaries and some patterns and habits that uh, keep me on track. But also, have you noticed there's a lot of distractions? There's a lot of things vying for our attention. And if we're not being formed by God, then we're being formed by our culture. So it's a choice, really, for all of us. The third and final thing that comes up over and over again in terms of being the people who know him is this sense of trusting and obeying. We heard it, didn't we, in that Packer quote? Accepting his invitations and doing what he commands. Jesus says, if you lay down your life for me, you'll find it. But you've got to lay down your life. Like it's hard. There's a cost. There was a cost to Jesus laying down his life for him so that we can take up ours in him. 
the response on our part is going to involve some trust and obedience. Doing things that are hard, not doing things that we want to do because actually we're trusting God's best for us. And again, throughout the Psalms, you see this. You'll see it all the way through the New Testament. Psalm 119 is perhaps one of the best examples. Teach me, Lord, the ways of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. When you understand that doing what God tells us to do is not just to keep him happy, but it's actually because in, that, in doing that, we actually get to know him more, you realize this is a liberation exercise. It's not a limitation exercise. It's good for us. There's freedom and joy in obedience. Paul writes in Galatians 4 verse 9, he says, Now that you know God, or rather are known by God, and then he goes on to talk about what we should do. And I found that phrase really interesting as I was prepping for this. And I'll say this as we come to land. The amazing thing about those of us, and you'll find this, those of us who go on this quest, the amazing thing is as we go seeking after more of God, as we live a life of trying to know God more in this season, what we realize, actually, what we'll discover again, or maybe for the first time, is actually... It's not really about us knowing God at all. It's not to say everything I've just said is nonsense and you're wishing, why was I here? But it's realizing that God knows us. And that's the game changer. As you try to know God more, as you and I lean into knowing God, we will discover... That's my timer. Not bad. Uh, can't now turn it off. Um, as we go about trying to know God more, what we will discover is that God knows us. And that's the game changer. God took the initiative in Christ. God's been looking for us. God's been seeking us. God wants to dwell with us. God trusts us and sends us in his name. God made us in his image and he came looking for us because he longs to know us and to be known by us. This is the game changer. It moves from something we do to get to know God to becoming something we do so we can be with him because we've found a God who knows us and he knows all of us and all about us. And he still loves us. He's not phased by all the stuff that we hide away from one another. He's not phased by the CV. He's not phased by the messy history. He's not phased by our failings. He looks upon us and says, I love you. And I want you to know me and know who you are in me. And that liberates us. Packer says this, and I say this to finish. What matters supremely, therefore, is not, in the last analysis, the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. 
I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me. And no moment, therefore, when his care falters. Let's be still. Let's practice knowing God and being known by him. We're going to literally have a moment of silence and stillness. We're not going to rush it. We're going to sing a final song in a moment, but the band will hold off for a moment.